Every year, the southeastern United States, central Mexico, and the Caribbean brace for hurricane season. But could there have been super hurricanes in the past? And what about fierce Midwestern tornadoes? We'll discuss these killer storms next. God is in control not only of our daily lives, but the weather, the ocean, everything. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Many of us have either seen it firsthand or watched on TV the total devastation caused by a hurricane or a tornado. Besides location, what's really different between these two destructive forces of nature? And is it true that hurricanes were more powerful long ago? Hang on for the next 15 minutes as we focus on hurricanes, hypercanes, and tornadoes. Dr. Larry Vardaman is chairman of the Astrogeophysics Department at the ICR Graduate School. He tells us about hurricanes. These are regions of small storminess that develops little waves in the airflow from the coast of Africa across the Atlantic into the Central America and southeastern U.S. But not every one of these turns into a hurricane. About every three days there's a little wave comes across and some of those turn into tropical depressions and then they just kind of disappear. Some of the tropical depressions turn into weak and minor hurricanes and some of the weak hurricanes turn into moderate and severe hurricanes. So how do the hurricanes form? A hurricane basically starts when you have a small area of cloudiness and the atmosphere is kind of drawing the the air into a location and forming a larger and larger region of cloudiness. And as it begins to intensify, these clouds get more intense and they draw more air in. Down near the surface, this air comes in and it takes on the shape of a counterclockwise circulation down near the surface because the air is being affected by what's called the Coriolis force, which is due to the Earth spinning on its axis. As the air moves in from a long distance, it tends to spiral in toward the center of this activity. As the air is then lifted in the center, or near the center, in what's called the eye wall of a hurricane, it's lifted up into the upper atmosphere, and that same air then is forced outward from the center, and it goes in a clockwise direction. But what's the cause of this formation? Michael Ord is an atmospheric scientist and author of The Weather Book. Hurricanes occur in the tropics generally between 30 degrees north and 30 degrees south. And the reason they occur there is because they're generated mainly by a warm water. The warmer the water, the more intense the hurricane. Usually they occur from June to November because the water in the tropics has to be heated up by solar radiation. And once the ocean water heats up, it's hurricane season. Because the warmer the water, the more the evaporation. So you evaporate more water into the air. And this evaporated water, when it condenses, releases what's called latent heat, which is a powerful heating mechanism. And that is generally the energy for the hurricane. It organizes first as showers and thunderstorms that organize into spiraling bands around generally a 500-mile diameter. And then the heating getting off by the thunderstorms, the latent heat in the thunderstorms, adds more energy and more intensity, and it starts circulating the pressure lowers and it kind of keeps on going and after usually a few days it reached 75 mile per hour winds. And these hurricane winds can reach speeds in excess of 150 miles per hour. But the wind is not the most dangerous thing about hurricanes. 
90% of the deaths and destruction from a uh, hurricane is caused by the storm surge, not necessarily the wind. Storm surge is caused by the low pressure, which causes the sea level to rise about one to three feet. But then the winds blowing uh, pile the water up on the shore. In fact, the hurricanes are the, the biggest natural disaster on the earth. And they kill sometimes thousands of people, like in Bangladesh in the... Uh, November 12, 1970, a hurricane uh, hit that country with a 25-foot wall of water, and it's so flat no one could escape, and it killed 300 to 500,000 people. So these are very deadly, destructive storms that are part of the curse. As powerful as hurricanes are today, Dr. Vardaman says hurricanes of the distant past were stronger and are even called by a different name. Hypercanes are giant hurricanes, which we don't have today because the ocean surfaces are not as hot as we believe they were in the past. During the flood, the Genesis flood that's talked about in the Bible, and for some hundreds of years after the Genesis flood, the oceans were much warmer than they are today, we believe, due to the fact that there was tremendous quantities of heat released into the ocean from the geological effects and all the energy that was released in the catastrophe of that flood. But why would the warmer water generate hypercanes? When you have warmer sea surface temperatures, this process is intensified or amplified by the fact that the hot water releases energy, which causes the air to want to rise near the middle of the hurricane, and it rises more rapidly and draws in even more air. So because of this, essentially a chimney effect, which is intensified by the warm ocean, it produces even more intense hurricanes. And these are what we call hypercanes, and they can have horizontal winds that are four times as fast as hurricanes we observe today. They can have vertical winds that reach 100 miles an hour up in that eye wall. And the precipitation rates can be 10 times what we observe in the most intense hurricanes today. So they can be extremely devastating, not only in terms of their intensity, but in terms of the area that they cover. Is there any physical proof of hypercane activity? Well, there's some uh, evidence that we interpret as probably related to hypercanes, something called hummocky cross-bedding. It's a uh, kind of a unique geological feature in which you have not just horizontal layers, but you have layers that tend to get thick in the middle and then thin out near the edges, and they're all interleaved. And it's kind of a unique phenomenon, but it's normally interpreted as occurring under shallow ocean water where there was a lot of wave action. And that would seem to be the kind of conditions you would expect in a hypercane. We've talked about hurricanes and hypercanes, but what about tornadoes? Val Castor is a meteorologist and senior storm tracker for a local TV station in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We asked him about tornadoes. We'll put it this way. I mean, the, the definition of a tornado is a violently rotating column of air in contact with the ground usually in association with a thunderstorm. So how does a twister get started? To get a tornado to form, you first have to have a severe thunderstorm, and the updraft of that thunderstorm needs to start rotating. That's where a tornado starts first, is in the mid-levels of the thunderstorm. If the thunderstorm updraft starts rotating, 
and that rotation gets stronger and stronger, it eventually will descend and come down to the bottom of the storm. And then if it keeps getting stronger and if other processes take place, that rotation will will go ahead and come all the way down to the ground and then you have a tornado. This might be surprising to you, but it's not all that easy for tornadoes to form. you got to have all the conditions come together in just the right way to get a tornado. And nowhere else in the world do those conditions come together as often as they do right here in Tornado Alley, and by that I mean Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. you got a combination of a bunch of different things. Number one, you have to have Gulf moisture, you have to have warm temperatures and high humidities. That provides the fuel for the storm to get going, the very unstable air. Uh, number two, you have to have a strong upper-level storm coming over, uh, which provides the lift to get that unstable air lifted and form into thunderstorms. And there's several other factors that come into play also. So what happens during a tornado? First, you'll start to get the leading edge of the thunderstorm, and you'll get light rain. And then that rain will get heavier and heavier, and then you'll get heavy rain. And then you'll get hail, sometimes big hail, sometimes as big as golf balls or even baseballs. And then, after the hail comes, then you'll get the tornado. Just how destructive are they? We have what we call the Fujita tornado scale, and that's just called the F scale for short. And the F scale ranges from F0 up to F5. And an F0 tornado has winds of 40 miles an hour to 72. F1 has winds of 73 to 112. And F2 is winds of 113 to 157. F3 is 158 to 206. An F4 tornado has winds of 207 miles an hour to 260. And the biggest of all, an F5 has wind speeds that range from 261 miles per hour up to 318 miles per hour. Now that is a strong tornado. So we see that even though both tornadoes and hurricanes are very destructive, they are different types of storms. Typically, in a hurricane, in some of the strongest hurricanes, you might see a top wind speed of 150 miles per hour. And in the strongest tornadoes, you might see wind speeds over 300 miles per hour. So, in other words, I wouldn't want to get hit by a tornado. If you're going to get hit by a strong hurricane, maybe a Category 5 hurricane, you've got a much greater chance of surviving than you do if you were going to get hit by an F5 tornado. Michael Ord. Tornadoes are caused by severe thunderstorms that just get extra strong or supercells. And they're very small. They're usually, oh, they can be as thin as uh, 100 yards, 100 meters across, like a rope tornado, F0, F1 tornado, all the way up to the F5, which is the strongest, which could be up to a mile in diameter. They're very destructive. But hurricanes are a lot larger, and they get their energy source from the warm ocean to 500 miles in diameter. When they get uh, move inland or too far north, they lose that energy source, and so they decay, the winds go down, but the heavy showers can still occur. You can have flash flooding and flooding for a while. Even though these storms may not have been part of God's perfect creation in the beginning, they can still point us to the Creator. Dr. Vardaman. I think the issue is that hypercanes are just another piece of evidence that the Genesis flood literally occurred. The physics that we have simulated hypercanes with is the same physics that we have today, 
but the conditions under which they had to have formed would have only occurred under very catastrophic conditions like what happened during the Genesis flood. And what is the flood? It's God's judgment upon sin. So this comes back to say that God is in control not only of our daily lives, but the weather, the sky, the ocean, everything. And it all confirms that the Bible is literally true. Val Castor. I get out there, and as a meteorologist, I look at maps all day long and computer maps and stuff like that. And the highlight of my day is to get out and see God's creation firsthand. And when I see one of these big, huge storms, it just takes my breath away. Just to know that this is God's creation here. I mean, this is not just something that just happened by chance. God created weather, and it makes me think of uh, you know how majestic God really is and how small we really are down here on this earth. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.